Hello everyone! Before we begin, I have an announcement, and don't worry, it's not an ad. I'm committed to not doing those. But if any of you are in the Portland area and want to see me live, I will be doing a talk on July 31st. It'll be at Floyd's Coffee, the Old Town location, uh, at 7 o'clock, and I'll be talking about the mythical geography of the Pacific Northwest. Old maps, especially ones before the 1800s, had all kinds of errors on them, and when it came to the upper left part of North America, cartographers made all kinds of mistakes. There were all kinds of geographical features that don't really exist. One of my favorites is a big inland sea that would have taken up, you know, Oregon, Washington, British Columbia, etc. Uh, stuff like that. Also, Oregon and Washington being like right next to Japan, that kind of thing. So if you like old maps, if you like old maps that are kind of amazingly wrong, if you like weird mythical geography that doesn't exist, if you like the dulcet sound of my voice, uh, by all means, come out on July 31st, 7 o'clock at Floyd's Coffee in Portland's Old Town, and join me for the mythical geography of the Pacific Northwest. I will see you then. Welcome to the Weird History Podcast. I'm Joe Streckert. This is an independent, listener-supported show. To support it, go to weirdhistorypodcast.com. We begin with a quote. I hear the soft, quick purr-purr of a London ring. Then someone picks up the phone. Hello, says the London voice. Hello? Who's this? Fraser asks. Hello? There's actually nobody here. I just picked this up while I was passing by. This is a public phone. There's no one here to answer, actually. Hello, don't hang up. I'm calling from the United States. Oh? What is the purpose of the call? This is a public phone, you know. Oh, you know, to check out, uh, to find out what's going on in London. How is it there? It's five o'clock in the morning. It's raining now. Oh. Who are you? The London passerby turns out to be an RAF enlistee on his way back to a base in Lincolnshire with a terrible hangover after a 36-hour pass. He and Fraser talk about the rain. They agree that it's nicer when it's not raining. They say goodbye, and Fraser hangs up. His dime returns with a nice clink. That's far out, he says, grinning at me. London. Like that. Unquote. Take a minute to think about how amazing it is that anyone in the United States could call anyone in London like that. That communication is no longer really bound by geography, distance, time zones, or if you are using something like Google Translate, even language. That's not something we should take for granted. And in the middle of the 20th century, there was a group of people who were particularly enraptured with the new connections that were happening all across the globe. It was a subculture known as the Freaks. That's P-H-R-E-A-K-S. Freaking was the act of hacking the phone system to make free long-distance calls or to set up free conference calls. And who doesn't love a good conference call? They're largely forgotten now, but they were very much the antecedents of today's modern computer hacking culture. 
The quote that I started the episode with is from probably the biggest and most significant thing ever written about freaking. It's from an article in Esquire magazine in 1971 by Ron Rosenbaum. It's an amazing piece of journalism. In it, Rosenbaum is able to talk to and hang out with and get a lot of really substantive information from several prominent freaks. Reading it, it is amazing to see a subculture, a subculture dedicated to doing pretty illegal stuff, being so forthcoming with the journalist. Granted, a lot of them don't use their real names, or they only use their first names or fake names or that kind of thing. But still, his piece called The Secrets of the Little Blue Box lays it all out. But I'm getting ahead of myself. What is freaking? How did it start? Well, I'm not going to give you the full technical details of how to hack an obsolete phone system. One, that would not be terribly narratively satisfying. I imagine that you're probably listening to this with your earbuds on the bus, and me going into a bunch of technical details is probably not what you expect from this brand of podcast. And two, I was a political science major, and anything that's too technical is decidedly outside of my wheelhouse. But basically, in the 1950s and 1960s, phone companies were changing how they did things. Phones were becoming too prominent and too popular and too widespread to have a person make every connection. So instead of having an operator connect you from point A to point B, phone companies had large automated systems perform that task. And these large automated systems switched and changed and rotated and made decisions based on sound. A certain tone would perform a certain function, or make a certain connection. And you can probably see where this is going. Because if you picked up the phone, and you fed the right tones and the right sounds into a system, well, you could manipulate that system. You could use those sounds like commands. One of the earliest and most prominent freaks was a man called Joy Bubbles. And yes, he did change his real, actual legal name to Joy Bubbles. But he was born blind and with perfect pitch. He was also, from a young age, fascinated by telephones. And as he was tooling around with telephones as a kid, Joy Bubbles noticed that if he whistled a certain pitch, he could get into the phone system. And if he whistled others, he could move around within it. And this whistle-based system of trial and error and phone line manipulation formed the basis of freaking. Now, Joy Bubbles had perfect pitch, so he could reliably get into a phone system on his own by whistling 7th octave E, or 2600 hertz. That pitch, that sound, was the open sesame of many phone systems. Now, as I mentioned earlier, Joy Bubbles had perfect pitch. He could get around a phone system just by whistling. Not everyone was so lucky, though. Other ways to get around a phone system included using an electronic organ. And hey, that vaguely ties into last episode with the telharmonium. But anyway, by making the right pitches with an electronic organ into a phone receiver, you could also fool the automated phone system, which made decisions and connections based on the pitches it quote-unquote heard. Or you could have a cassette recorder and have a tape with the right pitches pre-recorded. So, just by playing something into the receiver, you could move around in the phone system, and hey, 
the world was yours. You could call London if you wanted to. However, whistling, an electronic organ, a tape recorder, those are all kind of DIY kitbash hacks. An even better way to get your freak on would be to build a tool designed specifically for freaking. John Draper, or Captain Crunch, whom I mentioned earlier, kind of took that serial box bosun's whistle and made it even more complicated. He made a machine that came preloaded with the pitches that you needed to freak your way through a phone system. The machine was called a blue box. It was not blue. Most of them were black or gray. It had about 10 buttons on it. You could make different pitches by pressing the buttons, and it fit neatly in the palm of your hand. This blue box, which again wasn't blue, became how most people performed freaking and hacked their way through phone systems. Here are Draper Crunch's own words about what the box was capable of, and this again is from Ron Rosenbaum. Quote, I built it myself, the captain goes on. If you were to go out and buy the components from an industrial wholesaler, it would cost you at least $1,500. I once worked for a semiconductor company, and all this didn't cost me a cent. Do you know what I mean? Did they tell you about how I put a call completely around the world? I'll tell you how I did it. I called Tokyo, who connected me to India. India connected me to Greece. Greece connected me to Pretoria, South Africa. South Africa connected me to South America. I went from South America to London. I had a London operator connect me to a New York operator. I had New York connect me to a California operator, who rang the phone next to me. Needless to say, I had to shout to hear myself. But the echo was far out. Fantastic. Delayed. It was delayed 20 seconds, but I could hear myself talking to myself. Unquote. He circumnavigated the globe with his blue box, with knowing the right connections to make, and with talking convincingly to operators. Uh, something that I should also add is that there were still working operators in the 1950s and 1960s, especially for international calls, and convincing them that you should have a connection was part of freaking, and it is still part of hacking. Uh, it's known as social engineering, and that's basically being able to lie really convincingly about being somebody who works for a phone company and, and you need such and such connection for such and such reason. In fact, most people who hack successfully now just do it by lying really well in email or whatever. But anyway, freaking did not just remain the province of hobbyist. It seems to me that most freaks did it for the thrill of it. They did it because they wanted something to play with. The phone system was a system that they wanted to explore and exploit, and they wanted to see how it could be bent or broken. They wanted to know where its failure points were. It was a puzzle that they wanted to solve. But freaking could also just plain get you free calls. And if you make lots of long-distance calls and don't really have any scruples about using an illegal call box, hey, that's great, so... Mafia bookies kind of became like the other big fans of freaking because they had to make lots of calls to place bets for lots of really scary connected international people. So in terms of like commercial use cases, it seems that illegal gambling was the big like 
killer app of Freaking, uh, the Yippies were also big fans. And the Yippies, if you're not familiar with them, were really extreme hippies in the 60s and 70s, who I should probably do an episode on at some point. They invaded Disneyland once. It got weird. Anyways, in the 1970s, Freaking was not unnoticed by the authorities, especially after Rosenbaum's long, in-depth piece in Esquire. So, both of the prominent freaks I mentioned earlier, Captain Crunch and Joy Bubbles, they did do time for their hobby. But they got out, and more on what happens to them in just a bit. But despite the pressure from authorities, despite mere possession of having a blue box becoming something you could be arrested for, Freaking still had fans. Fans that you might have heard of. Fans like Steve Wozniak and Steve Jobs, the guys who founded Apple Computers, first got interested in exploring systems and doing electronic weird stuff because they looked up to guys like Joy Bubbles. And they freaked. Yes, Wozniak and Jobs. They freaked together. And apparently, at one point, they prank called the Pope. Jobs said in an interview, quote, Yes, we did call the Pope. He pretended to be Henry Kissinger. We got the number of the Vatican, and we called the Pope. They started walking people up and down a hierarchy, you know? I don't know, the cardinals and this and that, and they actually sent somebody to wake up the Pope. When finally we just burst out laughing and they realized that we weren't Henry Kissinger, and so we never got to talk to the Pope. But it was very funny, unquote. Yeah, imagine Steve Wozniak doing a fake Henry Kissinger accent, trying to call the Pope while he's having his... Pope nap. Anyways, freaking was not long for this world. Throughout the 1990s and into the 2000s, more and more parts of the phone grid went digital. So the old sound-based ways to get into the phone lines and manipulate the phone lines became obsolete. On June 15, 2006, the last phone circuit in the continental U.S. that was susceptible to blue boxing, it was closed. It was in a small town in Minnesota called Waiwina. It had a population of fewer than 100 people. And just before it went down, people who knew how to freak an old school phone system called in, left voicemails, and said goodbye to a dying technology that was home to the first real version of hacking. But what happened to Joy Bubbles and Captain Crunch? Well, I'll get the really bad one out of the way first. Captain Crunch, John Draper, is still around. He's in his 70s nowadays, and this is going to be uncomfortable. He uh, apparently is a giant creep. Um, not only does he not respect the boundaries of phone companies, he also does not respect the boundaries of uh, lots of young men he has made inappropriate sexual advances on. So even though he is kind of a hacker hero and well-known in that community, there are several tech conferences that he is no longer welcome at anymore. So there's that. But as for Joy Bubbles, he later on continued to tool around with the telephone and kind of just be his weird self. He changed his name to Joy Bubbles he declared himself the founder of the Church of Eternal Youth. He also declared himself to be five years old forever and made a project of listening to every single episode of Mr. Rogers, of whom he was apparently a very, very big fan. Joy Bubbles also operated a storyline in Minnesota where you could call up and he would tell people stories 
on a weekly basis. He died in 2007. He was five years old, as he had been forever. Oh, and if you've seen Sneakers? Yeah, Whistler? That character is an amalgamation of both Captain Crunch and Joy Bubbles. Sneakers, by the way, if you haven't seen it, what are you even doing with your life? That movie's a classic. Freaking seems so innocent now. The kind of hacking that these people were capable of and did seems so small, just person to person, just one to one. Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak calling the Pope. It seems trifling when compared to, you know, a DDoS attack, doxing somebody on Twitter, or other things that we have to contend with today. In the 1960s and 1970s, it was the height of electronic transgression. And as technology has progressed, the capacity to violate systems and people, really, with technology has also progressed. Freaking seems innocent in comparison to what happens on the internet today. It's also, frankly, fascinating that anyone wanted to pick up a phone and talk on it, because I can tell you, I hate talking on the phone. Most of my peers hate talking on the phone. We text each other, like civilized people. Who wants to talk on the phone anymore? That sounds like work. But we take our connections for granted. In 1971, it was no small thing to reach out and speak to somebody on the opposite side of the planet. As always, this is a listener-supported podcast. Go to weirdhistorypodcast.com, become a supporter. I really appreciate that. Couldn't do it without you. And also, go on Apple Podcasts. Give the podcast stars and reviews. That would be very, very useful. That helps other people find the show. Uh, find me on Twitter, at Joe Streckert, at J-O-E-S-T-R-E-C-K-E-R-T. The podcast is on Facebook, facebook.com slash weirdhistorypodcast. And once again, join me at Floyd's Coffee at 7 o'clock, July 31st, in Portland's Old Town for the mythical geography of the Pacific Northwest. Talk to you next time. Bye. I'm in the bumble, just the one across the hall.